Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Actus Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, January 2nd, marks our 113th program and our very first of 2019. So Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome back to uh, Actus Radio. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, New CMS Risk Adjustment Rule. Okay. Minor technical glitch, but hey, this is this is uh, we're, we're back to 2019, and and uh, I got to shake off a little rust myself. <laughs> so I'm I'm joined today by my co-host at left, Melissa Varnavis. Melissa is the associate editorial director for Actus. She's responsible for the development of books, webinars, and local chapter networking, and also responsible for the co-development of the Actus National Conference. We're having a lot more news on that coming up soon. So welcome to the program, Melissa. Thanks, Brian. All right. Next, I'd like to introduce our industry guest, another familiar face to listeners of Actus Radio. We have with us uh, James Kennedy. Dr. Kennedy is president of CDIMD Physician Champions, a Nashville-based group of physicians, coders, and clinicians engaged nationwide as CDI physician advisors, ICD-10 medical informaticists, and DRG and HCC compliance advocates. His expertise includes physician and hospital leadership, healthcare systems improvement, healthcare documentation and coding compliance, and government relations. You may recognize Dr. Kennedy for his uh, prior stint on the Actus Advisory Board, and he's also the lead instructor for our uh, Actus Bootcamp, the physician advisor's role in CDI. And I'm very glad to have him back as uh, our first guest on uh, Actus Radio in 2019. So welcome to the program, Dr. Kennedy. Happy New Year, Brian and Melissa. All right. Well, as I always do, I'm going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. You should be seeing that on your screen if my technology technology isn't failing me right now, but it seems to be working. All right. The question reads, has your CDI program expanded its reviews to include risk adjustments? And your options are yes, no, don't know, other, are not applicable. Again, has your CDI program expanded its reviews to include risk adjustment? Yes, no, don't know, uh, other, are not applicable. And for those that answer don't know, hopefully they'll learn a few things today that, that may get them moving in that direction. If, if, if it's applicable, We've, we are seeing a lot of growth in this area. I'm going to be talking about that today. So looks like we've got about 75% of our audience that have uh, voted on the poll. I'm going to go ahead and close this out and we will return to it as we always do uh, in just a few minutes after our interview. So as I mentioned, our guest today is Dr. James Kennedy. Dr. Kennedy, Welcome to the program, and thanks for being a part of Actus Radio. Um, so I'm going to be sharing a few links as you're talking, uh, Dr. Kennedy. But just to summarize for our audience, um, way back in December <laughs> of this past year, December 7th, actually, CMS issued a final rule 
entitled the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act Methodology for the HHS-Operated Permanent Risk Adjustment Program for 2018. Um, there's some technicalities about the issuance of this rule. There was a, there was a delay in its implementation but this rule allowed CMS to continue normal operations for the risk adjustment program for the 2018 benefit year. Uh, there was a federal judge that vacated the use of a statewide average premium under the HHS methodology earlier this year. So we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the differences between these two sets of HCCs for our audience today. Um, and I also... Uh, understand, Dr. Kennedy, that this rule includes some important changes in HCCs as established under the Affordable Care Act. So maybe we could start by giving our audience sort of an overview of what this rule is and um, some of the important differences between the two sets. Well, thank you for this, Brian. And this is one thing I think that most of us need to recognize is that with Medicare or with the United States government's various insurance models, there's really two versions of HCCs. The one that most of us are aware of is the CMS HCCs, hierarchical condition categories. And this is what's being implemented with MACRA, with MIPS. This is also part of the Medicare spending per beneficiary calculation. It is the funding of Medicare Advantage plans. So if you get Dr. Pinson's book as it relates to HCCs that you can get from HCPRO, you're going to see the majority of that book being focused on the CMS HCCs. There's a lot of emphasis on that at the convention in Orlando. What this rule is talking about is the HHS HCCs. And this is the risk adjustment for the various Obamacare plans. Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, what people are buying on the exchange. So what we call the metal plans, the platinum plans, the gold plans, the bronze plans, the silver plans. And these, much like CMS HCCs, are based upon provider documentation, coding both on the inpatient environment and the outpatient environment. And because it involves a population that typically involves children. This will have conditions, the HHS HCCs will have conditions that we don't see in the CMS HCCs. For example, asthma is an HCC for HHS, whereas it is not an HCC for CMS. Also various acute hepatitis affect the HHS HCCs, but not the CMS HCCs. There's also various uh, areas for congenital diseases, uh, obstetrical diseases, uh, and such. So this is, again, just something for us to be aware of in that the role of HCCs or the role of the CDI professional now is not primarily on the inpatient DRGs. It's also now involving the CMS HCCs, and particularly if our facilities or who we work for has a relationship with an insurance plan, uh, particularly those that offer a Obamacare plan, like in Colorado, for example, Denver Health 
is a Obamacare plan. Denver Health also has a uh, Medicare plan. Well, they're also beholden to the CMS HCCs for their Obama for the Medicare plan, but also the HHS HCCs, as we see uh, with what was announced in December. Gotcha. So an important uh, distinction there between the two sets. Appreciate that, uh, uh, Dr. Kennedy. Yeah, and, and Dr. Kennedy, can you talk a little bit about the changes that are occurring within the CDI profession and, and what the growth of the profession and the growth of Medicare Advantage and risk adjustment payment models, how, how should CDI specialists begin to incorporate these types of payment changes into their practices? I think that the good news with the good news is that now physicians are being held accountable for risk adjustment. If you're not aware of this, starting, Jan starting yesterday, Medicare, the data that's being collected for fiscal year 2019 will now imp will impact 15% of the cost efficiency model for physicians if they're in a merit-based incentive payment system or MIPS model, and also there's going to be risk adjustment as it relates to certain episodes. So for example, physicians are now going to be held accountable for cost efficiency with simple pneumonia, but not sepsis due to pneumonia, and not the respiratory infection, DRGs. So now CDI professionals have a hook with physicians being at risk for for these models as opposed to just the hospital alone being paid on the DRG basis like we experienced five years ago. Therefore, I think that what I think we're going to see in 2019 is how do we leverage the inpatient CDI model to capture not only the CMS HCCs, but the HHS HCCs and for those involved with Medicaid plans, the CDPS model, particularly in Texas, particularly in Colorado, particularly in per, in other states where Medicaid, where the where the hospital has its own insurance plan, how we can leverage the inpatient models for these, and then also developing a workflow much like they did at Oxner in in New Orleans of looking at the outpatient diagnoses as it relates to all three methodologies, CMS, HCCs, HHS, HCCs, and CDPS. There's certainly a lot to keep track of. And that's why it's yeah. very important in my mind that there be somebody within the organizations uh, that actually develops a spreadsheet based upon ICD-10 codes and which code affects which methodology. So for example, let's take J18.1. J18.1 is low bar pneumonia. And Coding Clinic third quarter just recently opined that low bar pneumonia, it can be coded if the doctor says right upper lobe pneumonia, left lower lobe pneumonia, you know, that sort of thing. Well, J18.9, is J18.9 is not an HCC for CMS, but J18.1 is. 
So one of the things, the doctor may not know the organism, and we probably need to be looking at at least the doctor saying which lobe the pneumonia is in. So that way we get the CMSD or the CMS-HCC. Well, unfortunately, HHS-HCC doesn't recognize, doesn't recognize even lobar pneumonia, but you need to have a spreadsheet of all the ICD-10 codes, how it affects the MSDRG, how it affects the APRDRG, S-O-Y-R-O-M, whether it's a CMS-HCC, an HHS-HCC, and even a CDPS, if your organization has its own health plan, particularly those that participate in the Obamacare or Patient Protection Affordable Care Act plans or uh, are involved with managed care Medicaid. So is this, is this more? Absolutely. And again, one of the things I hope that we cover at the convention in May is these new innovations. What are the new models? How are we going to develop our subject matter expertise? How do we build out the EMR to capture this information up front rather than having to query for it? In my mind is where I see CDI going. Mm. Thanks, proactive CDI rather than reactive. Okay, right. how do we right. build these using natural language processing? You know, various things that we'll talk about a little later with the movements that Nuance 3M. You know, how do we build these in Cerner? How do we build these in Epic? How do we make the documentation templates, if anything, to reduce the number of queries? Because a query is a failure of the system. How do we build in all the different methodologies so that way the doctor, at least at the time of seeing the patient, can fully document not only for patient care, but also for coding care, particularly as mm -hmm. it relates to all the different risk models. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Kennedy. Um, I well, you know, I haven't had a chance to go through the whole rule, but I I am showing folks on the screen where they can find it, so it can be found here. This link that I'm hovering over will take you uh, to this final rule here. And I did get a chance to look at some of the commentary received. Again, this was during this was open for public comment, and CMS did receive some interesting comments uh, in the final rule prior to its issuance, and they sort of summarized them. Um, and you were talking about a little bit about how CDI can and adjust and, and had a great example about the pneumonia case. Um, but there was a commenter in here that expressed concern that the risk adjustment payment transfer formula. So basically that, that transfers funds from plans with lower risk enrollees to plans with higher risk enrollees as, as should happen, uh, exaggerates plan differences in risk because it does not address plan coding differences. Um, CMS replied to that commenter by saying, you know, we're sympathetic to commenters' concerns about plan coding differences and recognize there is substantial variation in provider coding practices. And continue by saying we're continuing to strengthen the risk adjustment data validation program, that RADB program, to ensure that conditions reporting for risk adjustment are accurately coded and supported by medical records. And we'll adjust risk scores with beginning with 2017 benefit year data validation results to encourage issuers to continue to improve the accuracy of data used to compile risk scores. So really that comment to me seems to be a call uh, 
uh, really a direct call for coding and CDI compliance, um, but also sort of puts organizations in a competitive position where they need uh, some type of HCC review in order um, not to lose payments to another plan. Um, so some interesting commentary about the, the, the need for CDI review, HIM review of, of, um, of the records under these, under these uh, H, HCC methodologies. I know you talked about this a little bit, but any, any thoughts on this or any other commentary within the rule yeah, itself, Dr. Kennedy? Yeah, this is one of the complaints that the small health plans have against the big health plans. That the big health plans, the United Healthcare's or the scans out in California, you know, actually have invested resources in developing their risk models, their risk adjustment models, whereas the smaller plans don't have the talent, you might say, or the experience. Kaiser, of course, has been super. You know, Kaiser has been the, probably the industry leader in HCCs, uh, given their invest their early investment in Medicare Advantage plans. And now even in Colorado, for example, they offer an Obamacare plan. So therefore, they're probably very invested in the HHS HCCs as well as the CMS HCCs. All the more reason, again, for the CDI leadership. What is going to be the strategic plan of your facility, particularly if they have their own health plan? like Dallas Children's in, in Dallas or Texas Children's in Houston has their own health plan. And how are those hospitals going to get the diagnoses that go into what funds the plan that then pays the hospital will be of primary importance rather than perhaps the DRG that we're getting. So this is, again, a tremendous growth opportunity, in my mind, for any CDI professional that if they're looking for something new to learn this year, learn about the, learn about the, the funding of health plans, either through the CMS or HHS, HCCs, the CDPS that's used by Medicaid. And that, to me, I think is the leading edge of where CDI is going, as opposed to the reactive mode in MSDRGs or APRDRGs that was practiced five years ago. All right, great. Thanks, Dr. Kennedy. I know we're at time for our interview here, but maybe just to quickly wrap up, that, that that's this is a great um, New Year's resolution for CDI in 2019. Is there any place you would direct people? I, I've been sharing some links. I will show, share them after the show, but is there someone within the organization they can talk to about, hey, you know, do we have, do we operate under these methodologies? Do we have, um, you know, this insurance contract? Who, who, who would a CDI department start with if they wanted to investigate further? The, the thing to ask is somebody in finance or somebody in contracting or strategy, are we going to develop a relationship with a payor, or are we going to become a payor, okay, other than just being paid under the DRG or fee-for-service models, okay? So this goes, again, into bundled payments. This goes into whether or not the organization is going to, you know, how, how will the payor be funded? 
So like, again, the Texas children's of the world, the, the Dallas children's, have their own health plan. How, how are they addressing the risk models? How can we integrate what we're doing on the inpatient environment where we already have an infrastructure in place to at least get what we can get on the inpatient environment? Then how do we roll this out to the outpatient environment? So the person to ask probably is somebody in strategy, somebody in finance, okay? Somebody who, or somebody in contracting is to where do you see your institution being one, three, or five years from now as it relates to these advanced payment models, recognizing that the data that's going to be collected in 2019 affects payment in 2021, one to two year lag, okay? So we're already done with 2018. Everything, of course, is in bed right now. It's a new year. Everything's resetting. How are we going to make the risk models work in 2019 for what we're likely to see in 2021? Gotcha. gotcha. Thanks. Okay. Great advice. All right. I'm going to go ahead and share um, the results of our poll. Again, we asked, has your CDI program expanded its reviews to include risk adjustment? Slight majority, 43% say yes. Um, but almost as many say no, 42%. Uh, 11% don't know, so hopefully maybe they have some um, ideas from your, your advice there, Dr. Kennedy, on how to learn more. 1% say other, and uh, 3% not applicable. Again, I always say some folks are not currently working in CDI or listening to the show. Um, so again, little majority, 43% yes, 42% no. Any any comments there, Dr. Kennedy? Uh, that. You know, that's about right. I think that most CDI programs, I think, are have been um, reactive as it relates to inpatient DRGs. But as we see more and more physicians being affected by MIPS, MACRA, I think that that percentage is going to go up to 75 to 100 uh, percent on the yes column. All right. Melissa, anything here surprise you at all? <laughs> no, that's really uh, interesting. The f almost 50-50 there. So interesting news. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to switch over at this point to our um, In the News segment. So again, In the News is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Uh, today I'd like to discuss a story that broke just before the holidays, before I had a little time out of the office. Um, about a large acquisition in the CDI industry, or a large pending acquisition, I should say. Uh, you should be seeing this on your screen. This is from the 3M website. And um, 3M, as you can see from the headline, 3M to acquire M-Modal's technology business. So on Wednesday, December 19th, healthcare giant 3M announced that it had acquired M-Modal's technology business. For those that don't know M-Modal, they're a regular uh, exhibitor at our conference they're based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They're a physician-facing technology platform that helps physicians improve their documentation capture. It's powered by artificial intelligence. This was a big, a big closing. It, um, it was, it's the sale is for one billion. That's with a B, and it's expected to close in the first half of the year. 
It looks like there's about 750 Immortal employees that are expected to join 3M upon completion of this transaction. Annual revenue of Immortal's technology business is estimated to be approximately 200 million. Um, so the press release is here. Again, I will include a link to this after the show. Uh, but essentially, it says that the purchase would build on 3M's strategic commitment to invest in its health information systems uh, and expand the capabilities of its revenue cycle management and pop health priority growth uh, platform. There's a quote here by 3M uh, Executive Vice President Mike Vale, who said the acquisition would enable doctors to improve the patient experience while enhancing documentation accuracy. Um, so again, you can take a, take a look at this here. Interesting story, big news for those in the CDI profession who, and who like following the latest updates on some of our, our vendors. Um, so now we have, you know, perhaps the nation's top physician-facing documentation platform joining co uh, forces with a company whose encoders and CDI workflow tools, I think we all know 3M 360 are perhaps the most ubiquitous, certainly right up there in the industry. Uh, we had a lot of hospital mergers and acquisitions in 2018, uh, and this year we have seen a big one already in the CDI technology industry. You know, you look at the likes of 3M, Optum, Nuance, standing, um, they're, they're really standing out as giants in the field. You wonder what, what else 2019 could bring. Um, but any thoughts on this, Dr. Kennedy, your perspective on this acquisition, what it may mean for the industry and the overall um, improvement and penetration of, of these tools that use AI um, or other sophisticated technologies, uh, physician-facing, and, and how it might impact the CDI profession? Well, again, this is a transition. This is recognizing that proactive CDI is more effective than reactive CDI. Okay, so it's funny that 3M initially had an agreement with Nuance in this. Uh, oh, I'd say six or seven years ago, before Nuance bought Jada or J. A. Thomas. So that relationship died, of course, with Jada you know, being a competitor to 3M DRG Assurance. And 3M, I think, uh, I've been, I've seen the, the, the Immodal product. It's a good product, you know. And, and what I think you're, you're seeing is Optum, 3M, and Nuance, you know, trying to, to get in front of this and, and integrate their products in the Epic or the uh, uh, Cerner uh, workflows Cerner, for example, has a nuanced product, you know, that's already baked in, even though Immodal and the others can be bolted onto this. And and I just think that this is a logical thing of where 3M is going, is they're again investing in proactive CDI workflows. Now, to us as CDI professionals, this is not going to eliminate our jobs. I think that there's they're never ever going to keep up with everything that has to be done, and I still see that uh, this is just makes a lot of sense to me, and um, I wish them every success. All right, great, thanks, Dr. Kennedy. I'm going to um, just wrap up here with our Actus update. So, Actus update is a regular feature bringing you the latest updates on what's going on inside of Actus. Today, I'd like to tell our listeners that the nomination period for the 2019 Actus Achievement Awards is now open. 
Um, I'm showing this on my screen here. This is available on actus.org. Again, I'll provide the link after the program. Uh, we also have a brand new sixth award to tell you about. So I'm going to turn the show over here briefly to Melissa Varnavis to talk a little bit about the uh, achievement awards, how to apply, and, and maybe a little insight on our new award this year. Thanks so much, Brian. I appreciate having some time here on Actus Radio to talk about the Achievement Awards. And I'd like to invite everyone listening today to take a look at the Achievement Awards page on the Actus website. There you'll find a link to our online platform where you can begin to fill out the nomination materials. We do have our um, traditional awards this year. The CDI Professional of the Year Award is our highest recognition of representation of the best attributes of CDI professionals. Um, we then have the recognition of CDI professional achievement, which recognizes an individual who's made significant achievements in the CDI industry. Excellence in provider engagement is a, an award that recognizes an individual who's really made a difference in their organization, enhancing medical staff understanding, really communicating the benefits of documentation improvement throughout their facility and their community. We also have the Rookie of the Year Award and the PDI CDI Professional Achievement Award, which was introduced last year. And as Brian indicated, we do have a new award this year for non-traditional settings, uh, professionals working in that arena. Now that would include anyone in an outpatient practice, physician practice, long-term care, rehabilitation, or other setting type. That's in order to recognize this really, really expansion of CDI efforts from this non-traditional short-term acute care setting and into these new avenues for growth here. So we're really excited about, about this new award as well as the traditional awards that we offer. Um, one of the important things that we wanted to let everyone know is that communities should feel free to nominate someone. But once you are started the process rolling and are on the online platform and can see a little bit about the information that we're asking in that nomination, to please, in, please include the nominee in the process and let them know that, that you're excited about nominating them and that you'd like their help throughout the nomination process. There's a lot of detailed information that we're asking because these are really high achievement awards for the industry. So there's information like resumes and like years of experience and like examples and uh, letters of recommendation and things of that sort. So please do include your entire team in the nomination process. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or to Brian about that. And uh, just one other thing that I wanted to mention, if you haven't already um, thought about submitting a poster presentation, we do have until the end of the week to do so. Um, and information about that is available on the activist website as well. So uh, thanks, Brian, and I'll turn it back over to you. All right. Terrific. Thank you, Melissa. All right. That is going to do it for today's um, edition of Actus Radio. We ask that you please join us back here in two weeks, or we're going to be talking about some exciting new developments in outpatient CDI, which, of course, we alluded to a little bit on today's show. Uh, that's Wednesday, January 16th. So I hope you can make it back for the second Actus Radio of 2019. And want to thank Dr. Kennedy for his time and expertise today. And as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, or ideas about the format of the show, please send me an email. You can reach me at bmurphy at actus.org. Keep those great ideas coming. And I'm looking forward to uh, a great 2019 with all of you. So thanks. Take care, everyone. And uh, 
enjoy uh, enjoy your time back in the office. We'll be, we'll see you soon.